What's going on, everybody? Good morning. Welcome to another episode of The Tailgate. It is week four of the college fantasy football season. Mox is here with me as usual. We've got Brandon Sanders, one of the guys on our CFF team. You can follow him at CFF University on Twitter. Brandon, thanks for jumping on. I know you've got big Tar Heels fan. You've got a massive game coming up this weekend. How you doing? Thank you for joining us in week four. Boys, good morning. How's it going? Uh, good job on the Better Sports app this morning. Didn't get a chance to hop in, but I heard it was a good show, so congrats for that. Um, I'm excited, man. We got a good game. It's sold out in Chapel Hill coming up today, so to get those tickets, you'd have to get it from uh, secondary people, and that uh, that could cost you some money, so I'll be watching it from home, but you might be hearing about that game and some of the uh, players today as we talk about here on the tailgate, so I'm excited to be here, guys. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's, I think, going to be one of the better games of the weekend. Mox, I mean... Anything excited you want to talk about real quick before we jump into recapping some of those Thursday, Friday games? Um, South Carolina is going to score a bunch of points this week after scoring seven <laughs> against Georgia and almost being shut out. They get Charlotte, who bottom three defense in the country. So I'm just glad that we're going to see some points. Just just one week too late, right? Just one week too late. All right. So we did have some games on Thursday and Friday. Some interesting games, but only a couple that I want to talk about here for fantasy purposes. And we'll start with the game from Thursday night as West Virginia beats Virginia Tech 33-10. to I thought my guy Grant Wells was going to play better, and I thought he was okay at first and then really just did not do much. And this 193 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Mox, I mean, there were times that we were starting him, even last year, as like a decent top 24 option. Has that just kind of completely disappeared at this point? Oh, yeah. For sure, you can't start him. Um, they should call him after that performance. Grant smells. <laughs> I like good. that. that I, how long were you working on that? Get, get, get behind the scenes. How long were you working on that? I didn't know he was going to come up. So as soon as you said, "Ah, oh, he didn't play that well," I was like, "Ooh, we got we got an opportunity there to do uh, some Grant smells." Yeah, dude's starting to stink. Yeah, it's it it is not looking pretty. Um, but Caleb Smith looks good. Five receptions for 70 yards and one touchdown. 18 fantasy points for you. Brandon, what are your thoughts on him? Uh, what are we doing with Caleb Smith moving forward? Is he a guy worthy of being in your flex spot? Uh, I think he's still uh, – he's past the weight watch. I think he's definitely worth rostering. I think we should put him on the bench and definitely see what he's capable of the next few weeks. We are honestly looking for West Ver uh, for Virginia Tech to have a, uh, a receiver that emerges as this top guy. And I think Caleb Smith is – Kind of starting to prove that for us, but I needed probably another week or so before I probably throw him into a flex. But he's definitely on the bench, and he's a guy that I wouldn't keep on waivers much longer. And they as have, a, go ahead. I was gonna say they have to pass the ball; they can't run it currently. Um, I think the stat was in the fourth at the start of the fourth fourth quarter they had a zero percent rushing success rate as an offense. That's rough. Yeah, and then the first first drive of the first quarter for them run. I'm like, dude, you're down 20 points, man. You you you're not gonna. I don't know. I just I was not a fan of the game plan from Virginia Tech in the second half either because they I'm were so up glad. at halftime. Yeah, I was so glad I pivoted from Keyshawn King and took him away from anything DFS related or in rosters. I just sat him down. I was like, I'm not gonna deal with this yeah. Virginia Tech running game. No, thank yeah. you. So I'm I'm not as deep in the weeds of the stats as you guys are, but I feel like zero percent that's bad, right? Like there, there's not much more down you can't, can go from there. Can't get any worse. Can't get nope. any worse. Okay, that's what I just here. wanted to clarify. Only only up from here can't get any worse. Uh, as Brett mentions in the chat, Wells was pretty bad, especially in the second half. Brett, I think pretty bad is is nice. So thank you uh, for for being nice here to my guy Grant Wells, the guy I was really high on. 
a couple of years ago. Um, West Virginia side here, JT Daniels, uh, 20 of 30 for 203 yards, just a touchdown, 15 fantasy points on the day. I feel like he's been averaging right around that. I don't think we're doing much for him. The interesting guys, though, in this offense, C.J. Donaldson, who's continuing to get just a lot. There's a lot of vitriol going on in this community about what we're doing with C.J. Donaldson, whether he is a tight end running back. Can you play him in the tight end spot? He is getting running back reps, as you can see here, with 106 yards on 23 carries and one touchdown. Does get eight receiving yards as well. Brandon, I know where Moxley and myself stand on this debate. But where do you stand on if you have C.J. Donaldson in any of your leagues and he has tight end eligibility, are you allowed to play him? Or are you allowing, if you're a commish, allowing him to be played in the tight end spot? Yep, so this controversy actually happened last year. We had a guy at Rice that was actually a running back that is in tight end position by the name of Jordan Myers. And I remember our good friend of the show, Andrew P. Katz over there, the burning the red shirt, played him against me and smashed me and my week was ruined. But I loved it because if it plays in the bounds of what Fantrax allows or whatever platform that you have, you should be allowed to do that. And I'm all for that. If you find the loopholes, if you find those little things, I remember there was one year where, uh, was it Brissett and Brady were both injured and uh, was, you know, we had Edelman possibly playing quarterback. I was going to play Edelman at quarterback in a wide receiver position. So I'm all for the loopholes. Uh, so for me, I like Donaldson, especially at the tight end position. Uh, I know there's a lot of people that are like, clearly he's running more than that. But if he's sanctioned that tight end, you should be allowed to play him at tight end. So for a tight end option, he's probably one of the best right now in college football. And I love it. I just the haters and losers are the people that don't want him startable at tight end. I just, relax people seriously relax you just because you don't have him on your team and you didn't listen to us telling you to pick him up week one that ain't my problem yeah, don't be that ain't, my, that ain't my problem that's that's I, a y'all problem i really do think that's the main reason i think you've got to let him you can't go in there and say that because like like you mentioned brandon jordan myers last year when he was eligible wide receiver tight end i'll be a hundred percent honest i didn't know who he was now i heard austin mention him at one point on the campus live pod and I was like, well, I'll go pick. I need a tight end. My my tight end's averaging me two points a game. I went and grabbed him, and he helped me. I didn't win the championship in that league, but he took me to the playoffs, and I lost by five points in the in in the semifinals. Like, if you can get that player on your team, I think you should be able to use him there. And if, as Moxley said, if you don't like it because he's not on your team, then go trade for him. He's a freshman. You're going to have him for probably three, four years. I don't I don't know that he's an NFL guy. So go trade for him if you want him that bad. Like, until a fan tracks removes the tight end eligibility, I just don't get what people are complaining about. He's listed as a tight end. Just allow him to get played wherever he is. That's that's a fan tracks thing, as you guys mentioned. The receiving court for West Virginia has been pretty good as of late with Bryce Ford Wheaton and Caden Prather. Neither one does much in this with uh, 6 for 69 for Prather and Bryce Ford Wheaton getting just 23 yards on three receptions. I've heard a lot of draft buzz for, for Bryce Ford Wheaton Sanders. Uh, I don't know why I just called you by your last name, Brandon. I'm going full football here. We're just going to Moxley, Sanders, and Bruning. No more first names. Here. No, what, what do you think about that, uh, Brandon? For, I mean, he's had a pretty good kick, uh, start to the season. Do you see like an NFL future for, for Bryce Ford Wheaton? He does have the tangibles. I mean, I'm not much of a Debbie guy myself, but playing in NFL dynasties for a year, I look for people that can kind of get out and – you know, make those plays and stuff like that. And I just see a lot of dog and, and Bryce Ford Wheaton getting into the football. He may drop some, and that might be something that he has to work on here as he works towards it. But overall, I think he's putting up a strong case. Uh, he might not be one of those 
top three rounds or anything like that, but he's a guy that can be fifth, seventh round. We've seen some good receivers come in those type of rounds that have been productive and are, uh, you know, starting for an NFL team right now. So I like it. Um, I think more than, I think Prather's probably more of the CFF asset, uh, you know, only, whereas I think Ford could, uh, if you're playing a C2C, Ford week can definitely kind of transcend over into the NFL roster for sure. I actually thought Caden Prather played pretty well. Yeah, um, for a six for a 69 like i i thought he made it for some impressive plays where i was like oh that's guy that we were hyping up preseason as a yeah potential breakout wide receiver um yeah mike the valerie special right there in mike Kingdom valerie Valley. special um the guy that i was on last year more so uh bryce ford we had eight targets and the receptions it was a it was just they just weren't clicking um so i mean i ranked him as a top 10 wide receiver this week, obviously he's not going to do that for you, but I mean, I, he's going to be productive the rest of the year. Still. I mean, let's hope not. If, if let's, let's pull it back up here. Five points this week. If he finishes a top 10, it's going to be a poopy week for CFM. A lot of people are going to be very upset, but Hey, it happens, right? Like it, he was been so good. Those first two weeks, it was kind of hard to yeah. imagine as Brett says, the wind was probably a big factor in this game, which might've been the truth. Like, you can't expect that with how good he's been to come out there and then give you five points. It, it was it just it was just a rough game. It is what it is. It happens in college. It happens. Hmm. A game last night that I think was honestly kind of rough to watch until about the fourth quarter when it really kind of became a good game was Virginia Syracuse. Virginia loses twenty to twenty two. I don't think there's really much to talk about on the Virginia side. Uh, Moxley did a very good job of you know, iterating how bad this offense has been since Tony Elliott came in and took over this year for uh, Virginia. So we're going to talk about the Syracuse side here in Garrett Schrader, who had 11 yards and one touchdown on the ground, did add 277 through the air, finishes with 18 fantasy points. Mox, what are, what are we doing with Schrader? Is he a guy that you're ever really willing to start because of the rushing upside? I mean, I don't know that he's been great. Yeah, he started with the rushing upside. I mean, and he's been passing better than he did last year. Like, I think the floor is higher than it was in 2021 just because he's he's hitting passes and, and Robert and I's scheme is actually playing to his strengths. So I think you he's start almost every week. I don't know. They have to be playing a bad matchup, obviously, but they don't have a lot of those in the ACC. So um, this whole Syracuse offense is pretty interesting. I don't really know what to think of it right now. I feel like it's a really good unit and a lot of nice pieces. And I think the play calling is good, but I don't think they have it yet. I don't think Schrader is the guy like I like Schrader fun guy, um, but he's not the guy that the, to, to take this off to the next level. It might be a year or two until we get a good like a quarterback who can run and pass in there. Uh, Sean Tucker, the star running back for them, goes out and puts 60 on the ground, 45 through the air, just uh -oh. get you 12 points in fantasy. What are we doing here with Sean Tucker? I mean, I'm he's a guy that you're probably starting every single week for CFF because he's so good. And I want to have a draft discussion about him here in a second. But, Brandon, we're not worried about the right. It's just a weird game. I, I watched a lot of that last night. I don't – like, you're not worried about Sean Tucker at all. No, he's one of those, uh, you play your studs. It's just like in any fantasy format. I mean, you drafted him high, you're going to play him. In ACC, most times, 
uh, he's going to have a good performance. This was just a weird game. Like you said, I didn't really – I'm glad I watched the highlights, honestly, this morning to try to catch up on things because I'd rather watch uh, – and I know it sucked, but I'd rather watch Air Force just run all over Nevada instead. So I, yeah. I watched that game instead. So uh, for me, I, I definitely think that uh, Schrader's good for CFF. He's got the rushing upside. I just think that Armstrong fits the system. And, of course, this came from Virginia Syracuse, so there's a lot of close – uh, battling with one another just because each uh, team knows each other pretty well, especially with uh, the, the coaches and everything. So it's just this is just a weird one-off. I don't think we should worry about Sean Tucker. Sean Tucker keeps himself accountable. Even on Twitter, he'll tell you, uh, you know, on his post, hey, I did this, this, and this. I need to work on this and this. So he holds himself accountable. I'm sure we're going to get a tweet probably sometime today or maybe Sunday morning saying, hey, I didn't do my best, but you can just believe I'm going to do my best next week, and he's going to probably go off. It just kind of depends on the matchup each week. It's just a weird week for him. That's it. Mox, we know that he's likely going to test well if he goes to the combine this year, but the big stigma around him has been that he is a Syracuse running back, and we don't know if that's going to hurt him at all in the NFL evaluations. I mean, he's been very productive, not just for Syracuse, for you on your CFF side. It's why we advocate to play CFF or C2C leagues because you get those points from those guys, even if they end up going to the NFL and not succeeding. But we see Sean Tucker going to the NFL and succeeding, right? You're asking the wrong guy, to be to be honest. Austin, just, wait, no, he's not here. I gotta go to you, Mox. You gotta tell me what you think. I just, I have a lot of concerns, and I've had these concerns about Sean Tucker. Like this is not new. This is someone that I've spoken to pump the brakes on for a long, probably at least a year. Um, he's small. He's two hundred five. He's really fast though. He probably is going to run in the low four fours, high four threes, really fast. Uh, a good receiver. I wouldn't call him elite, but I would say he's pretty good. Um, he's a bunch of catches. His ADOT is currently 2.5 on the season. Um, again, pretty good. But he, that's, he had one game where he had one pass downfield, so maybe not quite as good as I thought. Um, anyway, I have questions about Sean Tucker. He's coming from Syracuse, and he's not been good to start this season either. He's been pretty inefficient. Um, he has one game where he's averaging more than four four yards of carry. That was against Louisville. 4.1 against UConn. 2.3 against Purdue. 2.9 against UVA. And I hate using yards per carry because I think it's a bad metric. Um, and the line play has been bad as well. They, they're just not really run blocking all that effectively. I think they're bottom 30 unit in that currently. But I just want to see more from Sean Tucker. Like, I, I don't know how you can keep him in like your top three backs in this class. And a lot of people have them there. That's just me. Brandon, do you agree with Mox's assessment here on Sean Tucker? Sometimes I see day two and then other days I just don't like, I almost see like a day three, maybe a good pairing. Um, you know, like guys like Jalen Warren, who's doing a really great job behind Najee there at Pittsburgh, things like that. I can see Sean Tucker, being a guy that can kind of get out there, catch out the flat, uh, make those plays while the main uh, running back at an NFL team is taking a breather or two. That's kind of the role I see Sean Tucker. And currently I don't think he kind of for now doesn't stand out as a true like uh, back that you would see like a first or second round grade. I'd honestly think uh, he'd probably be fourth round or probably lower right now currently. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people and a lot of the draft people have him going as a second round pick. But one of the best NFL uh, experts, at least in my opinion, one Colin Decker does not. And he gives everybody <laughs> round two draft capital. But as Austin has chimed in in the chat, everyone can get round two draft capital except for Sean Tucker, according to Colin. So we may want to take that 
and then you just pay pay attention to it. Colin knows what he's doing. <laughs> it's it's funny. So they rank they rank 111th in um, run blocking right now. So obviously they're not getting there. But if Sean Tucker comes into the combine and weighs in at like 205, like how are you going to draft him in the second round? I just find that I just find it hard to believe that someone's going to take a 205 back from Syracuse in the in the second round. Who is his calling card is probably going to be speed based off of, off of his yeah. testing. And so like, if he adds weight, he's probably going to get the Travis ETN like four or five. So what, and he doesn't have, clearly he doesn't have the, um, the Travis ETN. What would you call it? Uh, background where he actually played for like a top team in the country. Yeah. Yeah. The Clemson, I'm sure that helped. Cause I think, I think Tucker's a better receiver than ETN is by a mile. So I think that that part of it, I, everyone props ETN up as this elite receiver. I don't think that he's close to what Tucker can do. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. So he's currently listed at two ten on the Syracuse site. I'm not sure he's two ten. I think he's closer to a five. Uh, but we will we will see. Out. We will find out. Good week. All right. So now we will throw it over to Jarek's by the number segments again. How does Braylon Allen in his first two years stack up to Jonathan Taylor, Melvin Gordon, and Monte Ball all with successful Wisconsin running backs? When you just don't understand the numbers, it's time to dive into the classroom with a beautiful mind, Jarek Backus, and by the numbers. Welcome to By the Numbers, where I'll be taking an analytical approach to answering one question each week. This week I'm answering the question, how does Braylon Allen stack up to former Wisconsin RBs Melvin Gordon, Jonathan Taylor, and Monty Ball? First, how does their stature and pedigree compare? Braylon Allen is a four-star sophomore, two years out of high school. He's listed at 6'2", 235 pounds, and he came into college as a linebacker, but transitioned to RB once at Wisconsin. The other three came out of college between 215 and 220 pounds. Allen obviously stands out here for better or worse, weighing about 20 pounds more than the others. He's also the tallest of the group at 6'2", whereas Gordon was 6'1", and Taylor and Ball were 5'11". For pedigree, both Allen and Gordon came into college as four-star recruits, and Taylor and Ball came in as three-stars. So how does their rushing skill compare? RB's skill and success at the NFL level usually boils down to their best college season on the field, so that's what I'll be using today. The metrics I like to look at to determine an RB's rushing skill are rush yards over expected per attempt, yards per carry over their team, and explosive rush rate. For rush yards over expected per attempt, Braylon Allen has by far and away the best number here. He comes in at 1.7. This number is from his freshman season, and it means that on average, he was gaining 1.7 yards more than what was expected every rushing attempt based on down, distance, level of competition, etc whereas Taylor's best season is 0.9 and Gordon's is 0.2. Since Monte Ball's career was pre-2014, I don't have advanced stats for him since they rely on play-by-play -play data, and that's the furthest back it goes. I'll compare his stats where applicable from here on out, though. For yards per carry over team, Allen falls in the middle here. He averaged 1.9 yards per carry over the rest of his team, whereas Taylor was at 2.2, Gordon at 1.2, and Ball at 1.1. Monty Ball really lagged in this category, where he had multiple negative seasons, meaning he was getting outrushed by the rest of his backfield, whereas nobody else had even one negative season. Next, I look at explosive rush rate, defined as the percent of runs that go over 10 rush yards over expected. 
found by at TejFB Analytics to be one of the most predictive metrics that carries from college to the NFL. Braylon Allen is on par here as well. Gordon's best season is 10.7%, Allen's is 9.4%, and Jonathan Taylor's best season was 7.8%. This year, so far, Allen is at 10.7% as well, but it's a small sample size, so I used his freshman year instead. As a note, Braylon Allen also has the best stuffed rush rate, green zone rush rate, which is rushes inside the five, and total rush yards over expected of the group. From this data, I can confidently say Braylon Allen's rushing skill is on par with Jonathan Taylor and Melvin Gordon's, and better than Monte Ball's in college. Next, how do their receiving skills compare? Spoiler alert, this is where things turn south for Braylon Allen. For RB receiving metrics, I look at reception market share of games played, yards per route run, and target share in routes run. To put it plainly, Braylon Allen has been poor in his reception market share in games played compared to the rest of the group. He's at 5%, whereas Taylor, Gordon, and Ball were all between 10 and 11%. For yards per route run, Allen is at 0.5, Gordon was at 0.8, and Taylor was at 1.7. And for target share in routes run, Allen is at 13.6%, Gordon was at 12.5%, and Taylor was at 27%. From this data, we can see Taylor is the obvious choice for best receiver in this group. In summary, Allen is killing it in the rushing aspect of the game, and right on par with Taylor and Gordon here. But if he doesn't improve his receiving, he is destined to be the rushing back who never earns targets at the next level, e.g. Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb archetype. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to College Fantasy Tonight. I am not Felix or Austin, but I do have Nate Marquise with me. We will be breaking down Clemson, Wake Forest, Florida, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Kansas State, Baylor, Iowa State, Texas, Texas Tech, Notre Dame, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Ohio State. We've got Hannah back this week with the G5 Minute. We're going to talk about some of the big news going on. Are we worried about Quentin Johnson? What's going on with Tyler Van Dyke and Jake Garcia? Not going to stick to the typical rundown and everything. I'm just going to bring Nate in here, and we're going to start running through a bunch of these games. So, Nate, thank you so much for joining me tonight. How are you doing before we jump in and break down these games? That uh, I thought a lot of them were actually pretty good. So what, what were your thoughts about this weekend so far? It's certainly been entertaining, man. I, uh, I've i had a blast watching these games up until my Sooners kicked off, but uh, outside of that, it's been it's been a wild, wild night of games. That's for That's for damn sure. Yeah, it was uh, like I we were just talking before the uh, before the show kicked off, and I actually did not get a chance to watch much of that game at all because I was watching the Ohio State Wisconsin game, and also had on the Washington Stanford game as that kicked off. So we will definitely get to that. But let's start with Wake Forest Clemson. I did not expect this game to go the way that it did, and, and Clemson winning a 51-45 shootout. I really thought that this was going to be more of a defensive struggle, at least for Clemson's side. I thought they were going to hold down Wake Forest. I sat Sam Hartman in a ton of matchups because I did not think he was going to go off, but he does. It goes off for 50-plus points, 237 yards, six touchdowns in this one. You, uh, what were what were kind of your thoughts on this game as you were watching it? I thought it was wild how just – offensively just this game just went crazy offensively it, none, none of it made any sense from 
a standpoint of what you're normally used to seeing with Clemson and just shutting. And, and for the first few possessions, it looked like that's how it was going to go. They just that defensive line was just manhandling the offensive line for Wake Forest. And then the game just totally opened up. And in the second half, it was an absolute shootout. Uh, it was incredible uh, how well DJU played. We kept waiting for that, you know, for that that one play uh, or that one series where it just started to fall apart and we were going to see Club Nick come in and save the day, and that really never happened. DJU just – it almost looked like for a while it was going to be one of those situations where he's going to do just enough to hold Club Nick off, and we never get to see him. And then he just kind of kind of took over, and and it was a, it was an absolute shootout in the second half. Yeah, that is honestly very surprising to me is the DJU one here. So, I mean, he obviously five touchdowns. If you guys didn't see it, 371 yards through the air. was There were a lot of people who expected this to be the game that Clemson loses and then goes to Cade Klubnik, and we really haven't seen Cade much as all. He comes out in that first game against Georgia Tech. I think he's had like one other drive. Have, have we seen enough now from DJU to think this Cade Klubnik storyline's kind of been put to bed? Yeah, I think we have to take Dabo at his word. Dabo's been saying DJU is my guy, and and he's going to be the guy we roll with this year. And I was, as I was watching the first half, it looked like everything Clemson did was a challenge. Everything was difficult. Nothing came easy. Every pass that he made, he was having to fit it into tight windows. But it was like they were doing just enough to continue to move the ball. Um, but the second half looked a lot different. Things came a little bit easier. We started, we started to see the offensive line play a little bit better towards the, towards the end of the game. And it, it looks like he's taking a hold of that job and I would be really surprised. He, he would have to really, really be bad in order to, um, you know, open the door back up for club Nick, it appears. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I tweeted that out, actually, because I've been saying, like, I, I did not expect DJU to be this good. I'm very surprised, especially by the way he performed today. I was not expecting that. But I, I talked about, like, everybody kept putting the Kelly Bryant-Trevor Lawrence comparison on both these two. And I was like, Trevor Lawrence and Kate Klubnick are not, at least in my opinion, in the same atmosphere as prospects. And neither are, 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 were Kelly Bryant and DJU. DJU was a top quarterback in his class as well, a five-star guy that many considered – was going to be the top guy in this class. I mean, we were drafting him as the QB one just last year before mm -hmm. he kind of imploded and all that stuff. So I thought there was a lot of discussion around that maybe shouldn't have happened. Could still happen at this point, but I'm with you. Like, I think we have to see DJU almost implode like he did last year at this point um, to go and and end up seeing K club. Nick uh, did want to mention Will Shipley, I think had a pretty good day, 104 yards on the ground, one touchdown. That touchdown was big too. I mean, Hit, ran through a defender, kind of spun off him, used himself, uh, used his right arm to kind of balance himself and throw his arm over the, the end zone there to get the touchdown. Just an incredible game from those guys. Uh, kind of sad for Wake Forest. I really, I was kind of rooting for the upset, I won't lie, but it was still right. a overall great game there. Uh, the next game here on this, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. No, no, no. I, I, I was going to say I'm with you. I, I was kind of, you know, you kind of root for the underdog. It's like, man, Clemson just continues to pull these games out. I was yeah. I was blown away at absolutely how good Sam Hartman won. I mean, this guy two weeks ago wasn't even playing football. And here he is, yeah. uh, comes back and just makes this Clemson defense look like a shell of what we're used to seeing. So it was, it was absolutely incredible to see how well he was, he was throwing the ball. I will say, man, uh, Jamal Banks put on a show for, for Wake Forest. He's kind yeah. of an up-and-comer the last two weeks. He is he has really played well. 
Yeah, 141 yards and two touchdowns. You know, I was expecting A.T. Perry to have a big game here. I think he had 53 and one. So, I mean, he still got you a touchdown, but it was really Banks that went off on this one. Yeah, I know, uh, I believe Clemson was down two of their defensive backs. So, maybe that's mm -hmm. why Hartman looked as good as he did regardless. I mean, he still put five touchdowns. That's I don't care if you're starting to do freshman defensive backs or not. That's a good performance. So, it was, like I said, I was not expecting that game at all. We talked a lot about that this morning. We were taking Clemson with the points because we just thought that defense was going to overpower Wake Forest and get the win. And, and Wake Forest hung with them the entire game. Another really good matchup here, this one in the SEC, Florida versus Tennessee. Florida loses 33-38. I want to start with the Tennessee side here because I think the Florida side has a little bit more of some interesting discussions. Hendon Hooker leads Tennessee to a big one. I believe they hadn't beaten Florida in almost a decade. Uh, he goes out there, 349 through the air, two touchdowns, does get a touchdown on the ground as well, and 112 yards on the ground. I mean, Brew McCoy, shout out to Chris K. I mean, he's been hyping that dude up all offseason. Another great game here, 102 yards and one through the air. And Jabari Small, 90 on the ground with a touchdown, 32 through the air. I mean, what were you thinking as this game was going? It looked like they were about to lose. It was like one of those things that I don't necessarily know. This or is it a rivalry game? I, it, I don't know if it. I I think one team thinks it's a rivalry okay, game, but but the but the other program has won like sixteen out of the last seventeen matchups. So I'm not sure how much they think it's a rivalry. Yeah. Uh, the first thing that came to my head was is. Um, I think it was early in the second quarter. Hooker got spun down, landed on his shoulder. Yeah. And he came up and you could tell he was in obvious pain. And so what ran through my head was, oh, dear God, uh, we're going to have to see Joe Milton try to finish this game out uh, versus uh, versus Florida and, 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 and Richardson. So, yeah, it was, man, Tennessee, when they get a rolling, are, they are so fun to watch, man. Hypo just playing at that just uber speed. And second year for Hinden Hooker in this system. And man, this guy can just absolutely sling it and get this offense just rolling downfield so fast. They're so fun to watch when they get it going. They really are. And I mean, he's working himself into some decent draft discussions. I don't know. I don't think he's a first round quarterback, but I mean, even just getting drafted at a point where a couple of years ago, I don't think that was even a discussion. So him going out, even getting day two drafts capital fourth round. Like, I think that's good. I think he can stick on in the league. On the Florida side, though, there's been a lot of discussion about Anthony Richardson on this channel. He had an incredible game today. I mean, 453 the year, 62 on the ground. I have been taking this guy's over for the past two weeks and just getting destroyed because he came nowhere close to his. I, I was betting his, uh, what was it, pass and rush over yards together. It was set at like 220 the past two weeks. He did not go anywhere near that. This week, I was like, I'm taking the under. I think Tennessee's going to get out early and go. And Richardson just came out and looked like a completely different player. A lot of that, I think, goes to Billy Napier. He started getting Richardson on the move. They had a lot of rollouts, a lot of play action. I think that really helped Richardson, not just trying to force him in the pocket. Kind of what were your takeaways from this game? I mean, he looked like the guy we saw in week one and not the guy we saw in weeks two and three. Yeah, the first half it was is really a tale of two halves. Richardson looked uncomfortable in the first half. It looked like it was square peg round hole situation, and there just there wasn't a good mix between him and what Napier was calling. Second half, they got down. You could maybe say some of its kind of garbage points that he kind of built up towards towards the the end of the game there as they were trying to just kind of come back. And Tennessee went to into a little bit of a of a prevent defense, but. It was fun to see Napier say, okay, let's take the reins off. Let's let you just 
do your thing and just sling it around the field, get you outside the pocket, let you run, make plays. Like that's what we've been wanting to see from him. Almost like you're running a two minute drill with Anthony Richardson from the get go. It's kind of what you want to see. The less he has to think, the more he can just be natural out there. It actually works. Do that. Don't do this yeah. continuous five-step drop and hope that these these pro-style systems are going to work out for him. It's not. Yeah, I I really hope that Napier now for twice he's uh, he's gone back to the way he wanted to do things in week two and three and it didn't work out. And we saw him as you just mentioned, kind of open it up a little bit here. I'm really hoping he sticks with those. We saw how well that worked against Utah, and we saw it here. They had a chance to win this game at, at the end of the game. Granted. That came on a botched onside kick, but regardless, they were in it. They had a chance to win this game, and a lot of that was because of Anthony Richardson. He had an incredible game here. Uh, Ricky Pearsall, 103 yards through the air with one touchdown. Justin Shorter as well. Uh, no touchdown, but 155 yards. Man, the wide receivers were cooking in this one. Uh, the running backs did not do much. Trevor Etienne, 35 on the ground. Montrell, 18 but Anthony Richardson, I'm excited to see what he looks like next week. I feel like we're on a roller coaster ride with him now this season. Up and downs. Can we stay going up with him? I hope so. He's got a lot of promise, and we'll we'll see what this means for I'm, – I'm sure he'll be mocked back up into the top five picks again coming this Monday with all these mock drafts because that's you – know, with, with his great game. Baylor, Iowa State. Uh, you kind of uh, – Took a shot at me and Felix on this one because we uh we we kind of skipped over Oklahoma. I put Texas in. Texas did not have a great day today. We'll get to them here in a minute. Uh, but I think we finally got to see what Baylor is. They've kind of been up and down as well this season. They go out here and win this one 31-224. I thought the offense looked a lot better than it has earlier or so far this year um, when they were playing the FCS opponent they played in week two. I, I, I wasn't taking too much away from that. But Blake Shapin, 238 yards through the air, three touchdowns as well. Richard Reese continues to be the guy there for them, 78 yards on the ground with one touchdown. Gavin Holmes, 92 yards and a touchdown. And Hal Presley, who had an amazing catch on the sideline too, 50 yards, no touchdown. What were your thoughts here with Baylor getting the win over Iowa State? A massive matchup here for the Big 12 with a lot of the top teams losing this week. Yeah, the one thing that stood out to me was with Tay McWilliams out again with a head injury. We don't know how exactly how long he's going to be out, but Richard Reese has taken over this backfield. 21 carries uh, again after a, a monster performance last week, and it was Texas State, so you can't take much from that. But 21 carries today against Iowa State. Um, he's clearly the guy there. And I don't, I don't know what the deal is with Quaylen Jones. Two weeks ago, he puts he puts out a, a really good performance. Last week, he gets one carry. This week, he gets two carries. So it's clear they really like what they've got with Richard Reese. Do you think that uh, Tay McWilliams gets his job back when he comes back? It's hard to say because it did not – when he went out, it did not appear that he had like a stranglehold on this job. Like this is not a guy that's proven, you know, to have a year under his belt of, of showing that he's the guy. So I, I know they really like Richard Reese a lot. I mean, everything that Aranda and this staff says about him, they're like, holy crap, we are so impressed with his work ethic, and this guy continues to get better every week. So it would not shock me if he – and I'm a, he's one of the guys I'm going to highlight on – uh, chasing the natty tomorrow as far as our waiver wire pickups. I mean, you get was, 21 carries against Iowa State, you've got to get a look, man. I was going to ask that because I imagine he's not. I know everybody ran to the waiver, at least the leagues that I'm in, to get Quaylen Jones a couple weeks ago, as you just right. mentioned. And now it's it seems to be Richard Reese. So I'm, I'm going to be very curious to hear what you guys say about that on Monday's show, like what his 
roster shit percentages is and, and everything like that. Cause he's definitely, I'm with you. He's a guy I would definitely go out and grab on Iowa state side um, here. So Hunter Deckers, 284, two, two and two, two touchdowns, two interceptions. I kind of expected this. We talked a little bit about it this morning. Um, he did not look good against that Iowa defense. Well, I don't want to put Baylor's defense up there in that category. Uh, I did think they were good enough defense that they would stymie him a little bit. Uh, Jareel Brock here had uh, 73 yards on the ground, a touchdown, also had a touchdown through the air. Jalen Noel, though, the big wide receiver on the day, 120 yards through the air. Xavier Hudson, 84, had his touchdown called back in this one i don't really want to talk about this next game i'm i'm, I'm <laughs> invested in a team that i don't really like because of the quarterback uh but texas falls to texas tech in overtime here 34 to 37 a very weird game that i felt like texas for the most part dominated and they just for whatever reason let off the gas pedal Late in this game, Hudson Carr 277, two touchdowns and one interception through the air. I mean, Bijan had a great day. Um, unfortunately, coughs the ball up in overtime that gives Texas Tech the chance to kick the field goal for a win. Does get 101 yards, two touchdowns, had a beautiful run down the sideline. I did want to mention on Xavier Worthy really quick. So, 50 yards and a touchdown here. He was limping a lot in this game. He kept going deep multiple times, and every time he would run one of those routes, um, Card missed him like twice on on both of those deep runs but as soon as he finished his route he came up limping and would go straight to the sideline they never said on the broadcast what exactly was it it looked like something with his ankle but i do think that affected the the game here regardless i mean texas had this they were up i believe 13 going into half they just got very conservative with the play calling i think sark was just trying to run the clock out to get the win, and you can't do that against a Texas Tech offense, in my opinion, because we know that these guys can score quickly. Donovan Smith looked like a completely different quarterback than what we've seen the past couple weeks. I, I mean, Moxley was talking about sitting him this morning. I was with him. I was like, I don't, they might go to Barrett Morton in this game. He ends up 331, two touchdowns through the air and one on the ground. Miles Price, though, he doesn't get a touchdown. 13 catches for 98 yards in this one. And then Taj Brooks and Sir Roger Thompson did not do much. Did you get a chance to see any of this games? I'm sure you were happy that Texas fell, but kind of like, what were your thoughts around uh, just, I mean, I thought it was a really good game up for the fact that I really felt like Texas kind of blew their chance at a, at a playoff run and probably a big 12 championship and losing a game. They should have won. Yeah, I watched, I watched pretty much all of the game. I thought it was really entertaining. Um, on the Texas side, Xavier Worthy, I didn't see him play. So he limped off to the sidelines uh, on a on a deep pass in the second quarter. I didn't see him play another snap in in the second half. They didn't uh, uh, they didn't mention him. I didn't see him out there. And their offense changed significantly when they lost the deep play threat with him. Bijan still made some plays, but that you could tell that um, Sark felt a little bit handcuffed without him out there. As far as Texas Tech. Um, Donovan Smith is bipolar, man. It is it is hard to it is crazy to watch him play. You can see some of the the most incredible plays and some of the most awful plays in the same series with him. So, uh, but man, he can he can make some plays when it counts, and he absolutely did that tonight. So, uh, I was a fan, and uh, and it was it was definitely fun to watch him late in the game uh, playing. Seventeen targets for. Yeah, um, for Miles Price. Miles Price. So big, big game for him. If he can get into the end zone, then he's, he's looking at some really big games ahead. Yeah. I mean, Price and Smith won the Texas, that game, in my opinion, I, mean, I know it goes into overtime and, and they get the fumble, but 
on the final drive that drives them down to kick the field goal to actually give them the lead at the time. It was, I think, a fourth and five or something like that. And Texas blitzed Donovan Smith, and it looked like he was going to be wrapped up in the backfield. He makes one defender miss, gets it, and just kind of awkward throws it, and Miles mm-hmm. Price is just right there to catch it for the first down. They end up kicking the field goal. I thought it was over at that point. Yeah, you know, Texas was able to drive down and kick the field goal to tie it. It was, it was a great game. Like I said, I, you know, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit heartbroken. Uh, I've been touting Texas as a possible <laughs> playoff team. That is not happening now. So I, I was, I was a little upset, but still, we're, I think we're gonna get a great matchup in two weeks, and we can definitely preview that here in a minute. Another game, I did not. Again, another game, I did not expect to go this way at all. I felt like the score would be the other way here in Notre Dame winning 45 to 32 against North Carolina. We knew North Carolina's defense was bad, but I was not expecting Drew Pine and this offense that has looked kind of inept for two weeks after Tyler Buckner went down. Now that Buckner was really lighting it up either to look this good. Is it just North Carolina's defense is that bad or are we seeing possibly Notre Dame start to turn it around? No, I think it's the North Carolina defense is that bad. We've gotten uh, three games prior to this of evidence to show us that they're just an, an atrocious defense. What they did with App State, um, Georgia State—I mean, they—they just—they've been—they've been terrible on defense. Uh, but that's that's the beauty of of fantasy football, and Drake May just continues to absolutely explode because he has to constantly, yeah. uh, with his gas, uh, with his his foot on the gas pedal at all times because of how bad that that defense is so yeah they're they're real bad yeah drake may i mean almost 50 points again this week 46 points in fantasy 301 through the air five touchdowns um josh downs we we talked about starting him this morning uh, only 32 yards but still ends up getting the two touchdowns antoine green 150 and two if you go over to the notre dame side i mean since Felix Sharp has said to sit Michael Mayer, he has been absolutely going off, and he goes off again in this one, 88 yards and a touchdown. Lorenzo Styles gets in the end zone as well with 69 yards through the air. It was just a, it was a good game for Notre Dame. They were able to put it to get together against a bad UNC defense. Like I said, I, I wasn't expecting this. I really thought uh, UNC was going to be able to, for the most part, score here, not necessarily at will, but enough to keep Notre Dame from catching up. I mean, Good for Marcus Freeman. Uh, he's a guy that I was rooting for. They needed a big win here. Uh, they never started, I think, like Owen was 0-2. They did that. We're able to come back, get a win. So it's it's going to be big for them moving forward. I don't know they're going to be able to put up 45 points again this year, but it's it's a big uh, big win for them. Arkansas, go ahead. I was just going to say, start, every, start all your players against North Carolina. You have yeah. to. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's going to be what's going to be even more. Do they when do they play Clemson or do they play Clemson this year? I, I, I let me uh, pull I up their schedule. I got I got their schedule right here. They do not play Clemson. And I don't know that they'll get to the um, Oh, they might get to the ACC championship. It doesn't matter with the loss to Notre Dame. Right. So they could end up that would be the only way they play him, I guess, at this point. Do you start Miami players against North Carolina? Oh God, I don't know. Well, I don't know because I, I mean, I guess you have to because they look that bad. But I wouldn't feel great about it. I don't even know who their quarterback's going to be. But we'll have that discussion here in a minute. But yeah, that was a who that was. A, I'm going to be honest. I wasn't even watching that game. I didn't realize it was as bad as it was until they started flashing the highlights and they're like, "Well, Jake Garcia is going in." I was like, "Oh, I'm going to go put throw this on the third TV over here because I need to know what's going on." So. Another game that uh, I thought Arkansas should have won this game. Obviously, field goal kicker kicks it off the upright. They end up losing to Texas A&M. Big win for Jimbo Fisher. He just seems 
to find a way to win these games to just kind of like keep his job on track to what everybody expects him to be when he loses games that he shouldn't. But Arkansas loses here 21 to 23. KJ Jefferson, 12 of 19 for 171 yards and two touchdowns, adds one on the ground. Raheem Sanders was kind of held in check in this one. Makes sense. He's the best player on that team. I felt like probably Texas AM and Jimbo Fisher came into this matchup knowing they had to slow him down just 68 yards through the air. Max Johnson, though. Continues to not turn the ball over, which is likely what Jimbo Fisher has been looking for, why they sat Hans King because of the fumbles and the turn, uh, the interceptions, 151 through the air, one touchdown. Devin Achain has a big day here, 159 on the ground with one touchdown. And Evan Stewart just wanted to highlight, uh, obviously, freshman wide receiver, a guy that we really liked here at C2C. Um, only 36 yards, but does get a big touchdown, was uh, sat down last week due to suspension. And unfortunately, so I did not see this play. I'll ask you if you did. I know Aeneas Smith got hurt. I saw when I came back to the game, he was on crutches with a boot. I saw him talking to his dad. They were both kind of teared up. So I'm assuming, unfortunately, it is something serious, but I don't know what exactly happened to him. I did not, I did not see that play. No, I have no idea what's going on with his injury status. But obviously that 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 makes um, Evan Stewart that much uh, more attractive from a fantasy standpoint because – uh, he's he's going to be the guy moving forward. The problem is, is this offense is garbage. Um, from yeah. a pass standpoint, Achain got every one of the the running back carries, I believe, in this game. So he's he's taking over kind of that workhorse status, which is really nice to see because that's something we've always questioned from him. But I, I just don't know how relevant this offense can be moving forward. I mean, they're they're just they're they're just a total game management type offense. It's, boring and it just does not produce enough um tempo to 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 give you the fantasy production that you want is Achain the only one like you're considering starting every week yeah yeah he has to be i mean there i mean until they prove that they're that they're capable of, of getting into a shootout type game and 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 getting after it from that standpoint yeah there's there's just no way i'm interested in this offense right now I, I want to ask you a question about LJ Johnson. I know, I know you play in, in CFF Dynasty Leagues. This is more for that and, and C2C. Because in redraft leagues, I feel like, as you just mentioned, Achain getting all the carries. He's There's no reason to even have him on your roster. Do we think that once Achain possibly moves on this year, that then LJ can take this role? Because he was a guy that we weren't necessarily high on last year at C2C, but he just kind of worked his way up because the class was not that great. We thought we, he was going to be splitting carries this year with Achain. It's just not happening. Yeah, I like him quite a bit more than Le'Veon Moss when, whenever I watch both their high school tapes coming out. And I don't know if it's a, you know, there's there was kind of a mix of maybe injury, maybe um, doghouse situation for LJ Johnson in the offseason. So maybe that's playing a role here. But you want to see him get a little bit of that number two guy. I mean, we saw plenty of Achain to know that he was going to be really good when he was working behind Spiller. And we saw plenty of Spiller, you know, and, and stuff like that before he took over as the number one. So we would like some indication here. And we're just so far, we're not getting any of that from LJ Johnson. This is a it's it's definitely a program that could either one out recruit him or two go into the portal and and find somebody to replace him pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you could even move him for anything right now, but I guess, that, like I said, the, the main thing you're hoping for now is that he just takes this A-Chain role next year and, and is able to kind of break out like A-Chain is right now. Yeah, that's what you're hoping for. It just it looks like a long shot at this point because you have no evidence. You have you have nothing to you have nothing to base that on. Yeah, I think he's had. I don't. 
I'm gonna have to look this up right now. I know he had at least one carry last week, but yeah, I he got a, he got a little bit of run last week, so there was there was some glimmer of hope. But but at the same time, you just you haven't seen anything that leads you to believe that he is uh, due for a breakout. And and then you got games like this where Achin literally gets every carry. Yeah, he's had 21 attempts so far, and he has not gone over 100 yards. So that's not great. 70, 76 uh, rushing yards on the season. Ohio State, Wisconsin. I thought that Wisconsin would challenge Ohio State a little bit more than they did. There were some injuries on the defense in this one that maybe led to it. Uh, Mox and I hit on this this morning. While we expected CJ Stroud to have a good day here, he does not go over his props on the 300 passing yards, just 281. Both Henderson and Mayan Williams go over 100 yards, though Henderson doesn't get into the end zone. Mayan does twice. On to the wide receivers here. So Marvin Harrison doesn't do much in this game, and I think it was a little bit because of the injury early in the second quarter. They didn't specify what it was. I'm honestly a little bit worried it may have been some kind of concussion, Uh, but Mecca does step up in a big way, 6 for 118 and 2. Julian Fleming also has a pretty good day here as well. JSN was ruled out at about 4 o'clock this afternoon. I think that's when I kind of had let everybody know put a message out on Twitter. There's a lot of rumors going on about what's going on with Jason. I would say just kind of don't freak out yet. There's rumors going on that he completely tore his hamstring. There's rumors that he just pulled his hamstring. I know they did talk about on the broadcast that uh, Kirk Herbstreet had talked to Jason and Jason said he expects to be back in the next two weeks that he may take one more week to kind of make sure he's healed up and come back. So if he's saying that, I'm going to trust Kirk Herbstreet that he's not just coming out here and saying that for no reason. But there are definitely a lot of rumors going around about JSN. I wouldn't freak out too much about those. For Marvin Harrison, so he got a took a pretty big hit in this game, and he went off to the sideline. And the what they said on the broadcast was he came out because of he was adjusting his eyes, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. I, I feel like he probably got dinged. And they were worried about a concussion, but they let him back on the field pretty quickly. He kept putting like a wet towel over his eyes and and kind of covering his face up. I didn't see a cut or anything there, but I, I he didn't really play much after that. I'm wondering if that's what happened with him, but I honestly don't know. That's that's a really strange scenario. I don't know if I've ever heard about a guy covering wiping his face or covering his face up situation like that. I think the thing that concerns me most with JSN is if if he's really just trying to make sure he's hundred percent healthy, doesn't want to re-aggravate anything because we thought he was progressing. And then here he does. He, he sits out this game, their next three game Rutgers, Michigan state, Iowa, those three teams are not going to challenge Ohio state. It's not until Penn state at Penn state uh, on at the end of October. I mean, who's to say he doesn't continue to sit this thing out a little bit longer until he's just absolutely needed. And, and I think that's, Probably the biggest concern with Ohio State as as a whole is just, okay, can they just rest or take it easy with Henderson? Can they just pick places, pick, pick times when they're just going to sit guys in order to gear everybody up for the playoffs? It's all, that almost is kind of the feeling I get right now. Yeah, I have no doubt that they're trying. I mean, they were very open about that's what they did with Henderson last week. He, he mm-hmm. got his ankle stepped on. He was in a boot most of the week. When he came back on the sideline after the locker room, he was ready to go back out on the field. Like, yeah, no, we're all right. It, it's it's thirty to seven. You just right. sit over here. We're good to go. 
So I, I'm actually reading a text message right now that someone sent to me. So Ryan Day just finished up his press conference about 20 minutes ago, and he said they decided to shut down Jackson on Thursday. They're hoping to get him going again on Tuesday to hopefully have him for this week. But I'm kind of with you. I don't see why you'd rush him out there against Rutgers. Like maybe you throw him out there against Iowa right before Penn State to get him some more game reps before because I do think that's going to be a big game now with Penn State. I think Penn State's coming too the shoe so they may actually be playing that no, it's, it's, it's at Penn State right it's at Penn State yeah yeah but they're not doing the white out that's right they saved that for Minnesota or something like that so that's going to be a massive game right now setting up to possibly be the biggest game in their conference I think that they'll probably try and get him going before that but I would not be surprised if they don't decide to sit him again this week during Rutgers so it's something we're going to have to pay very close attention to because there was literally nothing about this until earlier this afternoon that he wasn't going to play I, I hadn't heard anything Nobody was talking about it. And then all of a sudden it's just, Hey, he's, he's inactive. He's not playing. So we got to pay attention to that on the Wisconsin side here. Unfortunately, I had to take an L on the negative rushing yard. I've hit that the past couple weeks, but, uh, Graham Mertz gets 15. I really thought he was going to get, uh, you know, more than negative two. Unfortunately, he does get 15 yards and a touchdown Braylon Allen, 165 yards on the ground. I mean, he breaks out with a, it was like a 79 yard touchdown run right there at the end of the game. Uh, for the most part, most part, I felt like Ohio state had kind of kept him in check, uh, but he ends up getting that great, great big run. I mean, what, uh, what were your thoughts there from Braylon Allen? I imagine if you had him on any of your fantasy teams, you were very happy to see him run through and all the defenders just kind of gave up chasing him, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, they had him bottled up all game, and I and had kind of, you know, stopped even checking the the score. I, I assumed he was out of the game, and and then he breaks off a breaks off a seventy five plus yarder there at the very end of the game. So really nice for for your fantasy uh, setup. But man, it it felt like there he was not going to be effective in this game at all. So good good for those owners getting the garbage points there at the end of the game. Yeah, I saw a lot of Twitter fans rejoicing when that happened, and, and everybody just kind of stopped. And I was like, "Well, there, there's a lot of very happy people right now." No, nothing like a, uh, you know, like a 14 point run to turn things around. Oh yeah, yeah, that definitely makes people happy. All right, so let's let's get to your Oklahoma Sooners. Um, we 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 thought this was going to be a good game, right? We were talking about it in the Slack channel. You know, it's not like anybody was sleeping on Kansas State here, but. 3441. I mentioned right beforehand, I didn't get a chance to watch. I mean, I watched like the last three minutes because the Ohio State game was over, but I was tuned into the Ohio State game here. So uh, break break this game down for us. What happened? Yeah, absolutely. So this game going into it, I Kansas State just terrifies me as a team. They they were coming off a loss to Tulane. You know, they're just they're just one of those teams that gives you trouble. But the problem was all game up. So Gabriel just kind of give you some of the stats. Gabriel threw for 330 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Um, a lot of it, a lot of that was, was late in the game, uh, you know, and, and, and picking up some on the last couple drives when K state was really in prevent mode, but he missed a lot of open receivers downfield, um, that, that would have been touchdown passes. I mean, they, you know, you can't make a, any excuses for, for the play because on the other side, Adrian Martinez was great, man. He, um, he looked like the Adrian Martinez that had not been ruined by Scott Frost at, 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 you know, midway through his career, (laughs) it was good to see him actually moving again. But um, yeah, it was just a situation where OU killed themselves with penalties. A lot of offensive line uh, had some issues with some penalties that ended a lot of drives and K-State did a really good job on, on converting third downs. So they were able to kind of control and keep OU's offense at bay for a lot of the game and, 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 and be able to capitalize when they needed to. 
Yeah, I mean, it was uh, – I like that you said about Adrian Martinez. He's another guy that I decided to sit this week. Uh, Would have won me a lot of matchups just because he hadn't shown this. I'm I'm, I'm hoping that uh, it was it's Klein is their offensive coordinator, right, the old old yeah. quarterback. Mm-hmm. So hopefully he can get something going with Adrian Martinez. His his draft capital is, is completely dead, but hopefully right. he can have another good uh, good year for CFF. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you think this means for Oklahoma moving forward? I felt like they were the favorites in the Big 12. Now one loss doesn't knock them out. I think almost everybody in the Big 12 has a, at least one loss now at this point. So Not Kansas. Not like, oh, that's right. Yeah, Not Kansas. 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 Oklahoma State also, I believe, is undefeated. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, Kansas and OSU, uh, the the two juggernauts of the, of the Big 12 right now. Yeah, I was just pulling that up. So, yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. I can, oh, well, cause I was looking at Kansas state says, but that's, it's in conference. So yeah, I mean, that's a, right. that's a, that's a big win though for, for Kansas state. I can't, um, I was, I'm not gonna lie. I was surprised turning that game on right there at the end and uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, Oklahoma is still a very, very good team. They've got, who is it that uh, I, I want to ask you this question really quick. Cause I was talking about this with some other people. I'm very curious. You are an Oklahoma fan. So I'm gonna ask you, it's probably a pipe dream. But we were talking about if Anthony Richardson wasn't turning it around at uh, at Florida, if he transferred, and someone brought up him coming to Oklahoma to play for Jeff Levy. Now they've got Jackson Arnold coming in, who I think is phenomenal. I, I watching his high school that won the Elite Eleven. Would you be happy if Anthony Richardson came to Oklahoma in the transfer portal next year? Well, I think the interesting thing is going to be what happens with Dylan Gabriel. He's kind of in this no man's land where he's in year four, but he's really not proven that he's good enough for the NFL. And he certainly hasn't proven it through the first four games of this year. He's missed on a lot of, a lot of opportunities. He hasn't proven that he's got the arm strength to make that happen to the next, you know, to the next level. I, I would say at this point, it looks like Dylan Gabriel's coming back. And if that's the case, then you're not going to see a transfer come in. If they turn it around, Dylan Gabriel starts to play at a higher level. He goes off to the NFL. I think Oklahoma is a prime transfer opportunity. I do not think that Nick Evers is is the answer. I think that there's a going to be a basically that Jalen Hurts bridge year where you need a, a, a an experienced guy to hold you over until Jackson Arnold gets one year under his belt and then becomes the guy. So is it Anthony Richardson? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what kind of connection Jeff Levy might have in that situation, but um, I my guess is you probably see something more like a Luke Altmeyer. I know that doesn't excite people, but there are clear connections there as far as a Jeff Levy system. Would you prefer Gabriel stay one more year to get Arnold that kind of bridge year? Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I'm totally in favor of the old Lincoln Riley system of you get one year to learn the system and then you become the guy. It's what he did with, with pretty much everybody that came through a system besides Jalen Hurts, who had the, you know, took took that that bridge year for Rattler before he took over. Right. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, Ryan Day is doing that as well, and I feel like that's working out very well for him. So I'm, I'm with you. I think that's a great thing. I want to touch on the running backs really quick, and then we're going to jump in and do Hannah's G5 minute. Uh, Eric Gray, 141 yards, uh, no touchdowns. Marcus Major, who uh, I know we were actually talking about uh, – was it on tailgate or better sports? We were talking about you this morning, talking about how you've mentioned Marcus majors getting more and more. And I said that I was going to ask you this because I'm going to have you live. I, look, I need you to talk to some people. I need Gavin to get more involved here. I'm not ready to take that <laughs> L yet. I know you told me not to get excited about him. Just like, you know, just, just float a couple words into somebody's ear. Let's, let's see if we can make this happen. But no, I, are you, um, 
Are you a fan of Eric Gray at all? Or are you, I mean, he looked good tonight. I have not yeah. seen much from him earlier this year. So tonight was, tonight was by far his best performance. Uh, he actually carried the team uh, through a lot of kind of the, that second, third, early fourth quarter. And if, if, if it had not been for some penalties, I mean, he was just, he was just running rough shot on them. So um, he looked, he actually looked really good tonight. Uh, Major was kind of dinged up. Seemed like every time you come out, he'd kind of limp off. So something wasn't right with him tonight, but it was clear that, that Eric Gray had the hot hand and Levy was riding him uh, for the most part in this game. But uh, no, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge Eric Gray fan. I, I think he, he misses the whole often his vision's terrible, but he is, um, he is explosive. He's dynamic when he gets into the open field. He's just, um, you know, he's limited as far as what you're going to get out of him. So we're not going to expect to see anything from Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk till probably next year would be my, would be your guess. Oh no. Barnes is getting run. Barnes has already been oh. getting some run this year. Oh, yeah. Barnes. Yeah. Yeah. Barnes has been, he's, this is the first game Barnes didn't actually get okay. five or six carries in. Uh, you won't see uh Sawchuk until next year. They're, they're they want to get him a year in the weight room for sure. Um, he's, I mean, he's still got a chance to be, to be a good player, but I, I do think that they lean Barnes quite a bit. All right. So we're going to jump in now and do Hannah's G five minute. And then Nate and I will come back and discuss some of the top storylines moving forward. And then we'll be getting out of here. Hey everyone. This is Hannah page with the G five minute. Each week, I'll bring you highlights specifically from the group of five, as well as major G5 producers for the day. First up, and maybe the most obvious talking point here, is Middle Tennessee defeating number 25 Miami. The Blue Raiders go into that game as 25 and a half point underdogs and end up embarrassing the Hurricanes at Hard Rock Stadium by a score of 45 to 31. I mean, absolutely punked. Quarterback Chase Cunningham in the air attack, which I did not know they have, decimated Miami's secondary. He threw touchdown passes of 71, 69, and 98 yards. Of course, some of that is yards after catch, but this stat is amazing. Cunningham completed 16 passes on 25 attempts for a whopping 408 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception. He also had nine carries for 29 yards and one rushing touchdown. Cunningham connected with wide receiver DJ England Chisholm twice, once for a 71-yard touchdown and once for a 98-yard touchdown. Next up, Georgia opened as 45-point favorites against Kent State. They won but failed to cover and had a real tough time putting away the Golden Flashes. Kent State is the first team, aside from Alabama, to score more than 20 points on Georgia's defense since November of 2020. Running back Marquez Cooper had 130 all-purpose yards. That's 90 rushing and 40 receiving, as well as a rushing touchdown. Receiver Devontez Walker had seven catches for 106 yards and one touchdown. And right now, Troy is leading Marshall which Marshall looked good against Notre Dame, lost to Bowling Green, so keep that in mind. But right now, the Trojans are leading Marshall 16-7 to in the fourth quarter. Troy's gunner Watson is 15 of 25 for 321 yards and one touchdown. But it's really the receivers who are shining right now. 
Tez Johnson has two receptions for 121 yards and 60 and a half yards per catch. Jabare Barber has four catches for 101 yards and 25.3 yards per reception. And Marcus Rogers has one catch for 50 yards. Well, that does it for the G5 Minute. Until next time. All right, so some of the top storylines from this past week, we have to go to, at least in my opinion, one of the biggest ones here. I mean, Miami played a good game against Texas A&M last week and then just gets absolutely blitzed by Middle Tennessee here. Now, the, the final score is 45-31. It was not that close. Jake Garcia comes in and kind of makes – the Hurricanes look a little bit better. 10 of 19 for 169 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. What do you think Mario Cristobal does here? I mean, he benched TVD. I believe it was like midway through the third quarter. I believe is when I saw the message go out and I kind of jumped into this game. Do you think he goes back to Tyler Van Dyke next week? Do you think he sticks it out with Jake Garcia? I mean, they have, I mean, not a tough matchup, I guess. They got North Carolina. We know North Carolina can score. Miami hopefully should be able to with the fact that they've got, or that's two weeks away, isn't it? It? Yeah, that's uh, no. Yeah, that's two weeks away. I guess they have a. I guess they have a week five bye. So I mean that. So perfect time to get Jake Garcia in and get him comfortable with the offense. And what do you think? Yeah, I was. That's a great point that we just brought up the bye situation there. Um, if yeah, if they've got a bye, that that does make it really interesting because I was convinced that they. This is one of those situations where okay, things just aren't going well. Let's try something different and go back to Tyler Van Dyke the following week and, and see if that's still, you know, still working there. But I don't know. I mean, after a bye, maybe they get Garcia going, but my, my initial thought is, is that this is just, it just, it just was awful. It just was awful on this, you know, this afternoon and and they're going to go back to the well of, of Tyler. I mean, he hyped him up. He, he sat there, Crystal ball sat there and said, no, we're not taking any transfers. I have the best quarterback in the country. That was literally his words. I have the best quarterback yeah. in the country in Tyler Van Dyke. How do you bench that guy in week four and never go back to him? You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm almost positive. If I remember correctly, he compared him to Justin Herbert because I remember talking yeah. to him about that. Like there, I, I, there's no comparison to Justin Herbert right. whatsoever. I, I love Justin Herbert. There's nothing there. Yeah. I, I hope, I think the only way they would is, as we just mentioned, they do have a buy. So, like, now would be the perfect time. You're not just throwing Garcia out there against another opponent and working it out. Hannah brought this up in her 411 article earlier this year. We actually talked about it on Debbie Debate. I I said that I thought Jake Garcia would at some point replace Tyler Van Dyke. I just don't think he's that great a quarterback. I, I know he came in and played really well last year, but Garcia was actually the backup last year until he got hurt. And right. that's what kind of gave TVD the chance to go out there and shine. Uh, but I am with you. I feel like you're not going to say all those things. And then I I think they probably pulled him because it just was so bad. You don't want mm -hmm. him to keep shooting himself in the foot. And then we know sometimes it's a very mental game with quarterbacks. It's one of those things like, hey, let's just get him out of there before he does any more harm. And, and we'll kind of just go back to him after that. Yeah, I think the probably the most concerning thing about this is that Middle Tennessee State gave up like, I don't know, like 600 yards against James Madison. And Todd Santeo just absolutely destroyed them. And you can't move the ball and, and be consistent and and have a positive, uh, you know, TD to interception ratio against that defense. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, hey, shout out to Chris Moxley, who's been saying Josh Gaddis and Mario Cristobal were not going to make this offense as explosive as a lot of people hoped it was going to be in Miami. Definitely something to watch the rest of the year. Uh, you are on, I believe it's every Monday, right, with Jared on chasing the Natty. Yeah. 
So you guys do, I'm pretty sure it's called the freak out scale. I could be wrong, but yeah. you guys have lately the past couple weeks been doing like a freak out scale where you talk about a player and you talk about how freaked out you are by them. Quinn Johnston, I believe throughout this year has seven catches for like 72 yards. <laughs> we hoped coming in, Sonny Dykes coming in was going to make this offense like really good. QJ was going to be the guy. And let's, I'm going to be honest. I do a lot of those spring practice reports. He was hyping up Johnston a ton talking about the offense goes through him. The offense has not done that. Like, what are we, what are we doing? How freaked out are we right now about Quentin Johnson? Jared and I actually talked about this two weeks ago. He, he landed on our freak out scale back then two weeks ago. And obviously two weeks later, uh, you know, one was a bye week, but then you see him play again. And, and uh, Max, Max Duggan has, like 277 yards, three touchdowns, and Quentin Johnson still is totally irrelevant. And the first thing Sonny Dykes did whenever he took the job is he's like, man, I drove out to Quentin Johnson's home and told him how he is going to be the focus of my offense. And yet here we are three games into the season for TCU, and he is definitely not the focus of their offense. So, yeah, I mean, he's as far as my freakout scale, you got to bench this guy. You can't, you can't continue to go out there and start him. He's too much of an incredible uh athlete and and freak show of a wide receiver to cut cut bait with him from a cff perspective and obviously he's going to be a high draft pick we we think uh for the nfl side so but man you can't for your cff side you can't sit there and, and start this guy you just you can't you need one of those crazy games for him to go off before you have confidence that that he is he is back to being himself and and who knows when we see that next yeah, yeah, I believe a couple weeks ago you guys said like you want to bench him, but you're always worried like the minute you do, he goes off yeah. those, those massive game. Now, yeah. like I, I'm 100 with you guys. He's he's the wide receiver version of Anthony Richardson. Yeah, it, the, yeah. the second you put him on his on on the bench, he's gonna go off for 160 yards and two touchdowns. You just you just you know that's gonna happen. Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because now that I think about it, I'm actually pretty sure I benched Anthony Richardson for Michael Pratt today, so I'm probably oh, yeah. really going to be regretting that decision as well when I go look <laughs> at my scores as soon as this show is over because I imagine – I don't remember what – I looked earlier. I don't think he had like a horrible game, but it wasn't great. So, yeah, that's that going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I really love to make bad decisions. It's just kind of what I do. Uh, so we've got a lot of uh, interesting games here for week five. Kind of preview some of that before we get out of here. Um, Alabama-Arkansas, maybe not quite as sexy as a matchup now that Arkansas loses because they'll probably drop down the ranks a little bit. They were 10. Uh, but to me, that one stands out. NC State-Clemson. You know, NC State has not looked that good, in my opinion. Devin Leary has really not looked like the guy we saw last year. I mean, he was getting first-round draft buzz coming into the season. He's been really bad. But, hey, if Clemson's defense is going to look like that, again, maybe NC State's able to put up some points. A big one in the Big 12, Oklahoma State versus Baylor. Any of those games stand out to you? Anything you're looking forward to in Week 5? I think the in interesting thing with NC State and Clemson is that Sumo left with an injury today. He He's their young running back that has been uh, just an absolute stud uh, this season. Right. Slimy shark, shark. That's right. And Jordan Houston was already out with an injury because of a because uh, of a uh, concussion. So um, that puts them in a little bit of a spot if they're having to play uh, face that Clemson defense that is going to be really hungry to uh, you know bounce back from how they performed uh, against Wake Forest. So um, I mean that that clearly stands out. I don't think that KJ Jefferson has the skill set to challenge uh Alabama's defense so that, that'll I mean, it should be an interesting game but I just I can't imagine that that's where Alabama takes their L this year 
Yeah, I'm with you. And I forgot Washington UCLA Friday night. That actually might be a pretty good game. I was trying to see what uh they were doing. I just realized that USC is only USC's in a dogfight, man. Yeah, hey, I'm all for it. We, we, we talked a lot about it this morning. I, I said Oregon State's a much better team than people are giving them credit for. Um, I was thinking about this too. I just realized Oklahoma plays TCU. It's like we're gonna sit Quentin Johnson, and this is gonna be because he had a pretty good game against Oklahoma last year, didn't he? Uh, he, had the, he had an incredible game. Yes, yeah, that's what's gonna happen now. Oklahoma continued to throw five foot ten cornerbacks out there to yeah. try to, and, and he just postered every one of them. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's going to go off, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, as we all bench him, yeah, of course. All right, so that will do it, though, for us tonight. Nate, thank you so much for taking time out of your nights. I know it's late. I'm pretty sure you're central time zone as I am, so it's getting it's it's almost midnight for us here. So uh, thank you for staying up and, and jumping on with me. Everybody, we'll be back next week. Better Sports Radio from 8 to 10 a.m. Saturday morning. Tailgate from 10.30 to kickoff, and then we'll be back again with College Fantasy tonight as well. Everybody, enjoy the rest of your Saturday nights, and we'll talk to you guys again again next week.